Well, Dustin, Wally Joyner on today's Sport Light Podcast. We just finished an interview with him. Incredible, incredible interview. What would you preview for the people today? Wally Joyner, everybody, if you haven't heard, go Google him. 16-year Major League Baseball player, was an all-star as a rookie, was a coach for many years, and we get into all sorts of stuff from, from practicing properly to dealing with slumps and even have some fun with them and throw some pretty cool questions at him that he had five seconds to answer, and he had some pretty cool answers to those questions. So it's a it's pretty cool to be able to have a guy of his his stature get on and talk with us for 40 minutes. I think listeners will enjoy it. Yeah, one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Hope everyone enjoys it. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is uh, Dustin. I'm here with Shad Martin, and we've got Major League Baseball All-Star Wally Joyner. Wally, thanks for joining us. Dustin, it's my pleasure. Thank you. We're excited to have you on. Just refresh us all here, Wally, and for some of the maybe younger listeners. I know all the the listeners my age and Shad's age are, are very familiar with you if you were a baseball fan, but when did you start your career and when did you retire and then i know you got into coaching a little bit in the in major league baseball will you kind of give us that sort of update on how that all went yeah i uh grew up in atlanta georgia played basketball and baseball i chose baseball to uh further my education after high school uh i was lucky enough to uh get a scholarship to uh brigham young university where, where i spent three years uh 81 82 and 83. Uh, after my 83 and junior year, I was drafted by the California Angels, who no longer are in existence. Uh, now the Los Angeles Angels, but uh, spent two and a half years in the minor leagues, broke into the major leagues in 1986, spent six years with the Angels. I left the Angels and went to the Kansas City Royals for four years. Then I played for the San Diego Padres for four years, 96 through 99. I was lucky enough to go back home for one year to play with the uh, great Atlanta Braves at the time. That was in 2000. And then I ended my career back with the Anaheim Angels. So I played on two teams that are no longer around, the Anaheim Angels and the California Angels. (laughs) But A lot of fun, 16 years longer than I ever thought I was going to play in the big leagues. Uh, After I retired, I took a few years off and then got back into the coaching ranks. I was the head hitting coach for the San Diego Padres for two years. I was asked to be the head hitting coach for Major League Baseball International, where we traveled around the world and we did camps and clinics for amateur baseball players. And uh, that was fun. I did that for four years. And then I got back into the big leagues with the Philadelphia Phillies as their hitting instructor in 2013. And then 2014, 15, and 16, which were my last years, I was a head coach for the Detroit Tigers. Nice. Well, wow. That's quite the career, Wally. Well, thank you. It, it was long, that, That's longer than I thought, even talking about it. 
So is there is, is there a portion of that career that you would mark off as the best part? Was there a three or four year period that were sort of your either coaching or playing that were just the the glory years you feel the fun years? I enjoyed coaching, but there's nothing like playing. And yeah. so you know, my 16 years of playing, you know, every year I was uh, able to put the uniform on and go out and play. Uh, it was a great year for me. So I appreciated all the years. Uh, my first year, you'll always remember uh, your first at bat, your first opportunity. Uh, we had a great team that year with many, many veteran and some Hall of Famers. Uh, Reggie Jackson was on that team. Bob Boone, Don Sutton, Doug DeSensei, oh, uh, Bobby Gritch, Brian Downing. So I learned a lot in my first couple of years playing with those guys, which I think was uh, very advantageous for me. I learned how to play the game the right way. And um, then uh, in San Diego, 96 and 98, we went to the postseason. And in 98, we went to the World Series. We lost to the Yankees. But uh, that season of getting there and, and, uh, and, and the drive and the uh, success was probably my favorite year. Yeah. And see, I seem to remember you. I, I had forgotten about that World Series trip with the Padres. I remember the the loss to the Red Sox. But in that series, you got sick. I remember you telling me about that. I didn't know that you when we went golfing last summer, you filled me in on the whole story. And that was because you were red hot. You came out in the first couple games just killing the ball and then you got some random tell us that story that blew my mind well it was uh you know some of my injuries throughout my career were some rare unique injuries and so this one uh unbeknownst to any of us um i i started uh i was the first player ever to start in an all-star game which was a, a great honor and right after the all-star break I, we were in seattle wa uh, seattle washington playing the mariners and I fouled a couple of balls off of my front shin, uh, hitting. Uh, the second one cut my sh my my skin open. I thought I broke my leg. Uh, they carried me off the field. I went to the hospital. Uh, X-rays were negative. But what happened that we didn't know about was I contracted staph in that wound. And um, so the second half of the season, I was complaining about being tired all the time and uh, didn't have a lot of energy. Uh, and everybody uh, put it in the category of you're a rookie and you're not used to playing this many games. So it made sense. Um, you know, I did the best I could. My my stats, my numbers went down the second half, but I was still good enough to play and get the job done. So we we uh, we made the playoffs. Uh, we were up against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, my first two games. I had a couple of hits at each game. I hit a homer. And uh, in the third game back in Anaheim, I eluded a tag at home plate, and I twisted my ankle of the same leg that I hit a couple of balls off of. And uh, that night, I came down with flu-like symptoms. I had a fever, uh, chills, and, uh, you know, I was, I was in bed saying, no, not now. We can't – I can't get the flu now, right? And um, – I jump out of bed the next day and I collapse on my right side and I look down and I have red streaks going up my leg. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I, I hobble to the car. I drive to the uh, ballpark. I go into the training room. 
And uh, within 10 minutes, the doctors had uh, admitted me into a, the hospital and uh, they were pretty serious about it. I didn't know what was going on, but what we found out was uh, staff was going through my bloodstream and through my body. And it was a, it was touch and go for a while. I could have lost my leg and uh, luckily I didn't, but uh, yeah, that was a strange injury that took me out of the playoffs, which I was unfortunately uh, unhappy about. Yeah, and <laughs> You never know if you're going to get back there, right? I mean, you were fortunate oh. enough to, but in all those years, what you made it one other time just with the Padres. <laughs> Yeah, I went to the playoffs uh, two other times with the Padres, and then my year with the Braves, we went to the playoffs. We got beat by the same uh, by the St. Louis Cardinals. So, you know, sixteen years of playing and one time to the World Series, it's hard to get to it. And um, we were very appreciative of the opportunity, and it's one of the years that we'll never forget. Yeah. Wally, you said something there a while back that Dustin and I preach a lot to our athletes. In fact, we've talked about it recently on some of our podcasts that when you recounted all of those great teammates that that you played with your rookie year and and that you attributed some of your success and coming into the league, being surrounded by those great people, we encourage our young people to take opportunities to be humble enough to go to your teammates and to learn from them and to learn from the great things that they do and the things they do well that maybe you don't do as well. Would you speak to that and what that looked like for you as you came into the league with those great teammates? Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, playing the game the right way, learning how to play the game the right way. My manager that year was an old school manager. His name was Gene Mock. Uh, he was a no nonsense guy. He lived and breathed baseball uh, and he loved the game, but um, there was the right way to play it. There was the wrong way to play it. And he told me something halfway through that year, which uh, stayed, it stayed with me my whole career and even to, to today, And which was he looked at me and he said, son, you're having a great, a great start to this uh, season and to your career. And he said, son, if you ever come to the ballpark thinking that you know everything about this game, it's probably time to pack up and not play anymore because if you don't have room to learn the game and watch the game and improve the, your game every day, you're not going to improve and you're not going to be helpful. So I took that to heart, and I truly believe that. You can learn something every game by watching. Uh, you can't learn anything when you're talking and when you're not watching. In my opinion, one of the uh, hurdles that young players have to get over is thinking that by making it to the big leagues, they've arrived and that that's all that they have to do. And uh, it's unfortunate to see these great, talented players uh, not progress and not improve. And for some, they're not around very long. And so if I can say anything to young kids and to talented kids, let your uh, let your talents talk for you. Um, play it humbly. You know, you're you're. It's it's a privilege to play the game and uh, appreciate what you bring to the game, but also appreciate what everybody else brings to the game. Also, and and um, you'll 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 have a better opportunity and a better career. Did you? Can you think of a player when you coached Wally that? 
that, you know, really exemplified that, that thirst or knowledge to want to, you know, continue learning. Uh, I know I'm sure you had some that probably felt like they had it all figured out, uh, <laughs> but did, did there any of them come to mind that you remember that were just, and because of that really benefited? Yeah. I, um, so when I was with the Padres, my first couple of years, 07 and 08, uh, they had a lot of talented players on the team. Um, Adrian Gonzalez comes to mind as a very talented first baseman that came every day uh, wanting to learn, wanting to improve. And uh, I think it showed with how he played every day and how long he played. You know, I, I know injuries play a part into your longevity, but um, – I think one of the hardest things to do is get to the big leagues and then even something harder is to stay in the big leagues. And, uh, when you, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is I played 16 years and it wasn't given to me. I had to fight every spring training. There were six or seven first basemen that were at first base wanting my job. And, you know, that fight and, um, that challenge, I think, made us all better and I know it made me better and uh, I appreciated that challenge. Yeah. Wally, one of the things we talk a lot about is resilience. And as you just shared that both with your injury and with your having to win your spot every year over six other first basemen and also just playing a sport where you fail most of the time and you're still really, really good. I wonder what you would tell young people about resiliency the importance of being resilient and and what you've learned about that topic as a as a baseball player well uh i appreciate the opportunity to talk about this you know i think for many people it's very scary to to uh push yourself to find out how good you really can be for many reasons number one you may fail the outcome might not be what you uh were hoping for but until you get to that point and until you push yourself to see. So listen, I, I wasn't the best player ever on a ball club. Uh, there were many doubters in high school when they asked me what I was going to do after high school. And I said, I'm going to play college baseball. And they said, well, you know, good luck with that, but I don't think you can do it. And then when I got to college, my hopes were to uh, get, have a chance, you know, there's no guarantees, but to, to have a chance to uh, be a, become a professional and, and that's in the worst way. You have to go to the minor leagues. It's worse than college. You can barely grate money every two weeks. I mean, you got you get paid nothing. So uh, you have to find out quickly if you really want to fight for this. But I loved it. I loved competing. I loved the opportunity every day going out and seeing exactly what my practice and my persistence was going to look like out on the field and, and turn into success. And, and you mentioned Baseball is a game of failure, especially on the hitter side. In, in the big leagues, if you are three out of 10, you're an all-star. And if you do that for a lot of years, you're a Hall of Famer. To get the mental strength of thinking that 30% of your performance is successful and to uh, be okay with it, you know, it's completely different than anything else we, we teach ourselves. You know, in high school and in college, we want to make 90%, 95% on our grades. And if we ever brought home a 30% report card to our parents, you know, you wouldn't see us for a couple of weeks, right? But so I think more than anything, that's the 
that's the struggle. I saw it in the minor leagues. I saw it in the big leagues where the fight to accept what you're doing is positive truly separates uh, the players. Wally, I'm, I'm looking here. I just pulled up your stats while you were talking there. I didn't. I mean, I, when you said 16 years, I thought that's a heck of a lot of games. So you played over 2,000 games. Yeah. You had over 2,000 hits, 2,066 yep. hits, over 200 home runs. You only struck out 825 times, um, which is awesome in that many games. Um, however, 800 times you walked back to the dugout having just – you know, had somebody get the best of you. Um, I, I know that there were times when that happened multiple times in a game for you or maybe multiple games in a row for you. We call it a slump in baseball, right? What did you do or what do you counsel when you are when you were a hitting coach to help guys? I'm curious your thoughts on helping guys get out of a slump. How do we get a, you know, give us some advice on how we could tell our, our sons or daughters? Well, uh, I'll say a few things about those statistics, Dustin, and which is, uh, you know, again, I, uh, the numbers that are on the back of my baseball card, I'm very, very proud of. Uh, they've been earned. One of the stats that sticks out, you mentioned half of it, which was I, I struck out 800 times, but I'm only, on, I'm only one of a few in Major League Baseball that walked more than I struck out, yeah. right? Yeah. So... In saying that, I never went up to the plate to strike out, and I never went up to the plate to walk. And those are results of, a, of an at-bat that, uh, you know, I, I fought through. I would love to say that half of my strikeouts were caused by the umpire, but I can't say that. Right? <laughs> but uh, uh, you have to give credit to the players that are in the big leagues. They're making the living. Uh, and someone thinks that they're good, and they are. You know, in in, in the major leagues uh, and on uh, teams, you have a number one pitcher, a number two pitcher, three, four, and five. Any one of those can get you out at any time. They're good. So, you know, that was the challenge every night, to prepare yourself to face that pitcher and to see if what you were preparing yourself to do was going to make your at-bats positive that night. So, and talking to as a coach and and as a player, um, uh, you know, I would have to say thirty times in my sixteen year career, Dustin, I I got in my car after a ball game, driving home and saying, "Okay, that's, this is it. I can't play this game anymore." Right? I, I nothing I do is right. Everything I do is wrong. Uh, I, I I can't even make a hard out. Right? And so it, it is frustrating. It is absolutely frustrating. And again, that's part of the struggle of uh, and how great and why baseball's so great because no one's immune from a slump. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing between your ears can really play a role into your success and how you can get yourself out of a slump. You know, in my many times of slumping, uh, you know, it, the, the, the fix, the easy fix was, you know, get the ball up, right? Quit chasing, uh, swing at a better pitch. You know, all of these things were a part of my anxiety up at the plate, right? So 
you know, you focus, you calm down, you slow the game down. And when, and, and, and you say that slow the game down. Well, when, when you're not slumping and when you're in the zone, everything looks like it's slow motion. Right. Yeah. And I, I would imagine it's in all sports. Yeah. Uh, when, when the game looks easy to you and feels easy, that's, that's when things are going right. And, and we, we, uh, we as players look for that to stay with us, but it, it never does because we, we tinker with something and then it's gone. And so, um, you know, the struggle, the struggle of handling uh, that slump, um, you know, it's baby steps. There were a lot of times, you know, even the, the greatest of players, I, I remember talking to Dave Winfield one time and, if you remember Dave Winfield, he he was a huge, he was a big outfielder, mm -hmm. six seven, six eight, probably two seventy, just a giant of a man, and he was intimidating up at the plate. and uh, And he told me that part of that intimidation was to help him uh, get out of a slump or help him get the edge on the pitcher that he's facing, because any edge that you can get is very very helpful and yeah. uh, useful yeah. so we all we all go through it it sounds to me like great players as we've interviewed a number of people here and through all different sports that there is kind of this healthy acceptance that what we're doing is hard <laughs> as athletes right it's hard baseball is hard and every now and then failure can start to multiply upon itself i've heard dustin say many times don't let this play you know don't don't lose the next play because of this play you know that we get in that that realm and, and learning what i heard in your answer is that it's healthy to be able to say hey sometimes the pitcher is just really good and he wins he makes that great pitch I, I've shared this with Dustin before, but my first college coach, one time I had a few strikeouts in a game and I was frustrated. I thought I was going to have this great moment with uh, with my coach and ask him for his advice. And I said, hey, coach, what am I doing wrong? And he looked at me and said, shut up. You know, <laughs> I was just and, and he went on to say, do you think I'm stupid? Do you think I would recruit someone who can't hit the ball? And, you know, I kept saying no, no. And he said, Sometimes in baseball, the pitcher wins. That's why it's a great game, you know. And uh, just that, for me, that took weight off me that my coach watching me play understood that sometimes the guy pitching against you or the person guarding you, they're good too, and they're trying to prevent it. And every now and then, that they're going to win, and it's healthy for athletes to realize that, to accept to accept the reality of failure, but as, as we've quoted before, not the finality of failure that yeah. I'm not going to keep losing. I'm not going to lose next time, but that guy got me, you know, yeah, I, like, I like that at all. I was going to, I was trying to think of what I was, how I was going to answer that. And that's perfect. You know, uh, I think it's important to understand that there's great people and great players that you're going to play against. And uh, as you continue to rise in the level of your, of your baseball career, high school to college to the professional ranks to, you know, I, I, I tend to, there's five, there's five levels or there used to be five levels of the minor leagues. There was a, a ball or there was short season, rookie ball, a ball, 
high A, double A, triple A, right? And, uh, you know, people go, what's the difference in those leagues? Well, in, in rookie ball, everybody's trying to figure everything out. Once you get to, let's say, high A ball, uh, you're probably going to face one good pitcher every five days. Double A, you're going to face two. Triple A, you're going to face three every five days. In the big leagues, you're going to pay, you're going to face five, right? Every day, every day, that pitcher can get you out, and so you have to understand that, but don't accept it. And um, and I like, like what you said. It's not the finality, right? You're not going to fail all the time, and you you don't need to accept failing. Um, but this game is very humbling. And when, you know, there's a lot of funny stories. I was with Goose Gossage over the weekend. who was talking about that epic battle when he was with the Padres in 1984, facing Kirk Gibson with the Tigers, right? And um, he was telling us the story. And he said, you know, what really did it for me was um, before the game, <clears throat> we started talking about the you know what ifs of this this game that was about to be played and they brought up kurt gibson and goose guys had said i own him right and and he said right when i said that i wanted to take all those words and put them back in my mouth because when whenever you think you've got this game figured out it's gonna bite you and that night he was up against kurt gibson the uh, manager wanted him to walk him he fought it and said, no, I can get this guy out. The next pitch was a homer, right? So um, the best of the best um, have failures in their career. And I think that not that we all want to fail, but unless you have failed, you don't know what success really is. And uh, you don't know when to appreciate it. So it's part of the game. Yeah. Well, one of the things we talk about, Wally, um, is mental toughness. And that's a word that gets thrown around by everybody. And I, I resiliency is another one. We've, we've already talked about that, but I, I found in speaking to kids that I'll use the word resiliency. And then, you know, kids I coach or speak to, I'll ask them, do you know what resiliency is? And most of the kids don't even know the word they've heard it. Mm -hmm. They think it just means be tough. Um, right. you know, but, but mental toughness, I think that's another one that, well, mental toughness means like, what is it really like mental toughness? You just touched on it. And so did Shad. You're not weak if you accept that you're sometimes going to, you know, you're sometimes going to lose. That's not weakness. That's just reality. Right. Um, but you don't have to accept that you're always going to lose or, but what's mental toughness to you and how did you see that? during your career in moments um, where you had to develop more of it or, you know, can we develop more of it? Is there any tricks that you use to, to be more mentally tough when you were in tough situations? Yeah, I think that uh, I truly believe that if you understand the game of baseball, I mean, if you really understand the rules, if you understand the strategy, if you understand uh, uh, responsibility, what's my responsibility in this situation, what, what should I prepare for? And it's different. You have, you have, uh, the catcher first, second, third, short, and all the out in the three outfield spot, their, their responsibility is all different in that in that position on every play. Mm -hmm. and, um, so 
on the other side as a hitter, I'll explain it this way. Um, a lot of times we evaluate our success hitting with hits, base hits. Yeah. Things good, doubles better, triples really good, homers the best we can do, right? Well, um, there's other ways to evaluate an at-bat. And you can have some great positive at-bats that helps your team win ball games without getting a hit that that at-bat, right? Because getting a hit is so difficult. That's why we are so happy when we get our hits. But you can make the right out. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the obstacles or the uh, the hurdle that I fought for many years as a coach was the acceptance of striking out. Uh, again, it's just like accepting a pitcher is going to be good, a strikeout's going to happen, but don't accept it. And do everything you can, every at bat, not to strike out. It's going to happen. Yeah. But accept it and to say, well, you know, I was trying to hit a homer, I struck out, so it's all right. No, no, no. You know, you could do something. If we know what the outcome is when you strike out, nothing, zero. But if you do something else in your at bat without getting a hit, who knows what could happen? You put the ball in play, and the and the hit and the pitch. The guy you hit it to isn't ready and he makes an error. That's just as good as a base hit and it keeps the rally going. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I hated striking out. It was, I loathed it. I hated it. Um, and uh, I did everything in my power, every at bat to have a positive at bat, right? A walk can, can start a rally. Um, you know, the right type of out grounding you know hitting a ball to second with the guy at second base and moving him over to third the guys at third you don't need a hit just get the ball in play and up the middle or in the outfield and you score the run yeah. so the evaluating the the evaluation of players they sometimes they can be hard on yourself uh you can't lie about it don't lie about what is good and bad um but you know find the the silver lining in, in, in the play. Yeah. That's cool. Love that. That's cool. Can, can we move to uh, another topic that we'd love to talk about? We call it win the hour and win the hour is basically that you look at every hour of every day and you ask yourself, what's the highest priority for me during this hour of this day will help you get more out of life. If you're in math class, Obviously, your highest priority should be math, right? And in relationships, get off your phone, look people in the eye and get to know people. And, and of course, when we're on the field or the court, our team and our coach deserves our work and, and undivided attention. But most people who become elite and played at the levels that you play at, Wally, later on when we talk to them about what they did as a young person growing up and some of the sacrifices they made and what they learned about working hard, all of a sudden it becomes this revelation like, wow, Wally Joyner just wasn't this incredibly gifted genetic, you know, freak that that made it to the major leagues. But you set patterns early in your life and you had a plan, a design that helped you get to where you arrived. I would love if you would just take a minute and talk about what you learned as you kind of went through the progression of a young little league kid 
to playing in the major leagues about what hard work looks like, how to work smart, just anything you would you would tell our young people about that. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I agree with you. No, I wasn't the best athlete ever. Uh, I didn't look like the best athlete ever. Um, and I can tell you, I'll tell you this story, which was, um, you know, I, I, I kind of got a little irritated uh, or a lot irritated uh, when I made it to the big leagues and started to play well. And I, I, the, the word lucky came into the description of Wally Joyner. Right. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not lucky. No, that's, that, that's hard work. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I, uh, I, I heard it so much that I, I, uh, I looked up the definition of luck. Right. And the definition of luck is when, uh, opportunity meets, uh, it's it, luck is when, uh, preparation meets opportunity right and when i found that definition and then i started thinking back i i agree with everybody i was lucky right i was absolutely i might have been the luckiest person ever and the reason why is because i prepared myself the best i could for every opportunity that was going to be in front of me that day or that week or that year um and i, I can look back at my college days as a freshman, sophomore, and junior, and those years changed. And there were different preparations that I had to do uh, to be successful. And then we moved to the uh, professional levels. And I went from an aluminum bat to a wooden bat, and I had to get used to that. And it was a struggle. And um, so the, the preparation... Uh, that you put yourself through um, determines your outcome. And everybody knows whether they did a good job that day or not. Everybody knows if they cheated. Everybody knows if I could have done more. And that's, that's one of the things that I would always hear from players that didn't reach the, the goals that they wanted. Well, if I would have only had done this, right? or if I wouldn't have gotten hurt or <clears throat> other things. And, you know, injury, I mentioned earlier, injury is part of the career, part of the game. Uh, plenty of great players that were injured early on in their careers that couldn't continue. But again, some of those injuries could have been uh, prevented by, you know, being in better health, being in better condition, um, and some couldn't have, so I'm not the one that's going to evaluate that. But for me, um, I I played by the rule of I wasn't going to be the weakest link, right? Regardless of uh, whether I was or I wasn't, I wasn't going to be the reason why we were going to lose today. And I was going to prepare myself in whatever way. Uh, I played first base, and I took a lot of pride in my defense. Uh baseball started to figure out that if you made less errors at first base, you could go hit and you could shorten innings and you could win ball games. So I was out there many, many hours taking ground balls, uh, becoming a good defensive first baseman, becoming a good defensive first baseman for bad throws and making outs uh, to help the second base shortstop and third baseman um, complete. So, um, 
there's all kinds of things you can do every day to become better and do it. Um, when I broke in, Gene, Gene Mock expected me to bunt whenever, whenever he asked me to bunt. He expected me to hit and run whenever that sign came on. He expected me to get the guy over from second to third. And all of these things I worked on every day so that when I was called upon to do this, I did it without any problem, or I knew I was supposed to do it. Sometimes the pitcher got the best of me and he prevented, you know, if I know I'm supposed to get the guy from second to third over the pitcher knows too. And so he's going to try to prevent that. So that's the game inside the game. But, um, you know, players don't become one dimensional. Um, the best thing for me that I learned early in my career was I needed to strengthen my weakness. And my biggest weakness was hitting against left-handed pitchers. So if I didn't address that, I was going to see a left-handed pitcher two times a game in the sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth innings, which was the most important innings. And if I didn't get the job done, I wasn't going to be in the big leagues very long. So understand what weaknesses are. Don't deny it. Don't uh, run from it. Strengthen it. And uh, you'll, you'll be, you'll be the, a better player. You said something there that's so cool. I think it applies to every sport, but I'm just thinking Dustin and I play college baseball together. And so I know like you get in that batting cage before a game and I know what most people are thinking and it's, let's try to put one in the seats, right? Like Everybody likes the homers, right? Yeah. And so, but you're sitting there, you were so intentional in your practice that you're you're going through scenarios in your head and you're practicing just hitting a ground ball or hitting to the right side to move a guy over. You're practicing bunting. You're practicing hitting off a left-handed pitcher because it's it's your the weakness that you had. And oh. that, that suggests a level of intentionality that most athletes don't think through. But if they did, they could be more valuable to their team, not only addressing their weaknesses, but finding out what are my strengths and how can I enhance my strengths so that I can help my team more. And if we're self-absorbed, and in this case, it would look like just going and seeing how many long balls I can hit to impress the kids in the stands, that's not good for your team. It's not good for your career. It's good for that moment. But I, I love that level of intentionality that as you progress through sports, you start to learn how you can benefit your team. But I, I don't think I got that as a young kid and any kids or parents or coaches who can hear this and get that and start teaching that that level of practice. It will be a great thing for for the young person. Well, let me uh, I'll say a few more things about this. Um Nobody likes to hear what they're not good at, at doing. And uh, nobody wants to hear, you can't do this, Wally, right? Um, and that was told to me, right? Hey, you can't hit left-handed pitchers very well, Wally. Um, the other part to that is in batting practice, you work on things that uh, you think is going to help you in the game. So if I want the ball to be thrown to me middle in, right over the plate for batting practice. How many times do you think I'm going to get that in the game? Never. A pitcher's not going to throw to your sweet spot, but what you try to do is get the pitcher to think that that's not your sweet spot. So what do you do? 
more likely than not, the first couple of at bats in my in in the game, the pitcher's going to throw away to me, right? So in order for me to be successful early in the game, I need to make make sure that when that pitch is over the outside part of the plate, I can drive it over the shortstop's head, right? So I practice that. So when I see it, I know I can do it. And then they see that and they go, well, he can't cover the whole plate. So he's looking out. I'm going to throw in. Thank you. Right. <laughs> now you're coming high strength. And so that's the, again, the game of baseball is so good in the, in the strategy of, of how do you, how do you get a pitcher to throw your pitch? Right. And it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of patience, but more than anything, it takes a lot of swings and to be able to to cover every strike in the strike zone because you're going to see those pitches more often than you're going to see the pitch that you're looking for. And when you get that pitch that you're looking for, we miss it all the time, but you try not to miss those pitches. Yeah. Man, that would be some killer, killer advice for a coach or parent listening to this to tell their their players baseball it's the same thing you know I'm in the football world it's the same thing in football if I'll have quarterbacks that I train in my other my other business that will say coach I'm sending you my highlight film and I'll say I don't want to see your highlight film why do I want to see your highlight film your highlights are what you're already doing well like I want to see your low light film send me all the send me all the crappy throws you made and the so we can address those because I promise you before any coach recruits you, he's going to go watch an entire game or two. I met to that point this morning. I spent an hour with the offensive coordinator of USC. Yep. And we were talking exactly about this. And he, he said, once I look at a kid's highlight film and I like what I see and I like his measurables, his, his height, his weight and speed and those kind of things. I'm going to go online and it's easy to do this now because you can access games online. This was harder to do, you know, years ago, but you can go find any game you want, really. High school games are all up somewhere. Some so I'm going to go watch two games and I'm just going to go a couple drives and after two or three drives, I can see if you can play or not. Yep. If you're a next level big time football player or baseball player, you're you should be your energy level should be similar all the time, not just on the, you know, the 30 or 40 highlight films that I see. I should be able to see that in the middle of the second quarter in a random game. I remember a, a, a major league baseball coach that I'm sure, you know, who's a hitting instructor. Tell me that when he was recruiting in college, I love this. Well, no, he was, this is when he was in the pros, he would go to college games and, you know, forgive my language here, but I'm going to say it anyway. He said, I wanted to see that guy's ass get off the bus. I wanted to see if his hat was on backwards and he was, did he talk to his teammates? Yep. How did he come onto the field? Was he running between the lines? What was his attitude like? Like looking for a reason not to draft the guy. I know he can hit the ball, but I'm looking for something to go back to the offices and say, I don't think we get this guy because of A, B, or C. So, don't have something that to turn a coach, you know, off by. And if we go to our players and say, hey, what do you do really well? What's your favorite pitch? So I know to never throw that to you in BP, right? Or to never give you that defense at quarterback when we're uh, in team, because I know you're going to shred it. I want you to, can you be man to man, right? Can you go to your left hand basketball player, right? And pull up at 12 feet 
If you can't, that's all we got to work on. But we don't. We want to go to the gym and we want to shoot the shot that we see go in the hoop uh, because we feel that's fun, right? We don't want to go shoot the one that clanks off the rim all the time. But that's part of what, Shad, you said about intentional practice, intentional planning, right? Culture by design, not by default. Elite level people do that. You don't go to the driving range and hit your driver all day. If you already rope your driver, you got to go hit your five iron. Right. By the way, Wally, everybody, Wally hits all of his clubs right down the middle. I've played with him a couple of times. So he doesn't he doesn't worry about it. I love the game of golf. But, uh, Dustin, you mentioned something, um, uh, you know, the the negativity is is strong in in all sports. Um, There's jealousy, there's envy, there's um, all kinds of negative vibes that are happening all the time doubters and there was uh, a time in my career where I got together with a couple of people and we just looked at each other and we said never give anybody any reason and we use bullets don't give anybody any bullets to use against you right because everybody's going to shoot you down everybody wants to see you fail and you are going to fail but don't make it easy for everybody to use it against you. So, you know, I love it. Coming off the bus, uh, getting ready for a game. Um, all of these things are very important because it's who you are when things aren't going great. Yeah. And baseball, most of the time, things aren't going great. So we got to find out who you are in those times. And... You know, I never had a bad day going to the ballpark ever as a as a player, as a coach. I was excited to go because um, I was going to learn something that day or I was going to help somebody learn something that day. And it was going to be a good day. And so um, I've always had that mindset. And um, I think it it can it's contagious. I think you can uh, teach people uh, by your example and not by your words or anything. And it's, it's even more valuable as an example, um, because you, you do it and, and, uh, you believe in it. And so I, I truly believe, um, uh, uh, staying positive as much as you can, uh, hard work, uh, and, and doing, you know, what, what's hard work is hard work getting a batter's box and hitting a hundred home runs. No, that's not hard work. What hard work is, is facing somebody that you're uncomfortable with getting in a, in a, in a situation with, where it's uncomfortable. Um, and trying to find that comfortable feeling, right? I mean, on defense, playing in on the grass and having guys hit your shots, that's uncomfortable, but it's going to happen. Yeah. When I get into that spot where I have to play in, I've done it before. So it's not nearly as uncomfortable. I know I can do it. I know I can catch it and turn two. I know I can catch it and throw home. Why? Because I've done it a thousand, ten thousand times in practice and not just the Sunday hops and, you know, the going through the motion practice. That's not going to get you to the next level. Yeah. You remind me of something, Dil Jeet Taylor, the cross country coach at BYU said on our podcast she said real growth never happens in comfort zones that's right and and i love that i've thought a lot about that with life and with sports 
that if we're yep. looking for Sunday hops, we, we aren't going to be growing. No, no, you're going backwards and you're not helping. When you're not pushing yourself, when you're not, uh, it, it, you, you need to enjoy what you do. And so if you're always uncomfortable, you're not going to have a lot of enjoyment, but um, put yourself in, in game type situations, put yourself on, uh, in the batter's box in game type situations. And it's not always, I got to get a hit right here. It's, you know, man, it's second base, nobody out. What, what do I do here? Right. And, and see the outcome, uh, make yourself uh, deliver in those, you know, if, if it's a base hit, even better, but uh, you know, have the positive endings where um, you've done the job. Right. And, you know, on defense, play up, you know, get those hard one hoppers to you. I missed quite a few and I got bruises on my shins and on my wrist and off my chest and I, a few bloody lips, but that's what it takes um, to know what it feels like so that when you get into that uncomfortable position, you can get out of it. Yeah. I love that. I want to finish with something, Shad, I didn't even tell you about. I, I want to do one minute, 60 seconds, and we'll let you go, Wally. But I want to do a rapid fire, kind of fun, ask you a couple kind of trip down memory lane picture right. or questions. Okay. And you got to sure. give us you give us a quick answer and we'll move on. Here we go. I've got three or four ready, Shad. So while I'm saying it, you can maybe think of one or two. All right. Um toughest picture you ever faced. Randy Johnson. Favorite ballpark to play in? Camden Yards. Least favorite ballpark to play in? New Tiger Stadium. It's humongous. <laughs> uh, one of, I won't put you on the spot, one of your all-time favorite teammates. Wow. I'll, I'll say a few. Trevor Hoffman, uh, Hall of Fame closer, uh, Chipper Jones, George Brett, Bob Boone, uh, Reggie Jackson. How about those? Wow, that's great. Chipper Jones was man. That was he was my guy. Uh, okay, most memorable hit. Um, most memorable hit. I I uh, I hit a home run off of uh, the Minnesota Twins closer Mark Davis uh, after fourteen pitches hit a home run to get us uh, a lead 5-4 in the uh, top of the ninth. Most um, crazy thing you ever saw in a baseball game? Is there a blooper or just some crazy play where Randy Johnson hits a bird flying across? Something crazy. Yeah, that was one. I saw that on TV. That was incredible. Not only did he hit the bird, but it, it disappeared. Uh, <laughs> right? But that's how hard he threw. Um you know, crazy. There was a lot of crazy games, and uh, you know, we're down by eleven, and we come back and win. Uh, we're up by eleven, and we lose. Right? These games, you know, there's no guarantee what happens. Go play the game, but uh, yeah, um, you know, there was a ball hit off the plate. I was at first base, uh, bounces high right down the first baseline. I go try to catch it, and my head's up in the air, and the runner's running and his head's down and his helmet hits me right in the collarbone. And um, I'm, I'm out for 
six weeks, right? Yeah. So crazy, crazy. You just so listeners know, if my memory serves me right, looking at your stats, something that caught me, uh, Wally, is I only saw three of your 16 seasons where you played less than 100 games. Yeah. Um, uh, I went to spring training to play every day, right? I wasn't, you know, I, I wanted to play every day. I wanted to prepare myself every day so that I could help the team win. And uh, luckily, uh, the manager of the team I was playing for thought the same thing and put me at first base because I was their best option. And uh, I played I played more than 100 games most of my career, which was – that's why you – that's why you put the uniform on to play. Yeah. One bit of advice to every young athlete. Um, best advice that I could give you is uh, find out how good you can be. Awesome. And here's one more. Advice to parents of athletes. Well, I'll say it this way. Um, it was kind of funny. Uh I don't know if we remember, but uh, the athletic director at BYU, when I went to BYU, uh, was uh, previously he was the hitting coach or the he was the baseball coach, Glenn Tuckett. So Glenn Tuckett, he I'll I'll, I'll answer your question this way. Um, Glenn Tuckett came up to my mom and I, and he said, "Mrs. Joyner, of all the parents who tell me that their son." is the next major league star you are the closest <laughs> so to parents, i know we all believe that we're going to have our next uh hall of fame catcher or pitcher or first baseman or quarterback or running back or shooting guard um enjoy the ride as it takes place and um you know, support as much as you can. Um, but um, for the most part, stay out, of, stay out of their way. There you go. Awesome. Well, appreciate you, Wally. Shad, Wally, thank you. Great episode. Covered a lot. Wally, we hope we can do it again sometime with you. And, and uh, again, thanks for your time. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Wow, Dustin, what a great dude that guy is. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I didn't realize he played 16 years. When you play 16 years, when you do anything for 16 years, but playing in a sport like baseball where you're playing games nearly every day, you play over 2,000 baseball games, um, and to be able to do that just physically to your body and and have the longevity that he had, and I mean, that was I – mean, that guy's got a wealth of knowledge. We only just touched – the, the tip of the iceberg there but yeah that was cool yeah i kept thinking we need to have him on again because i wanted to ask him about 17 more questions with yeah. everything that he answered but one of the things that really stuck out to me it seemed like the whole interview i was thinking that's awesome that's awesome but yeah intentional practice yeah that that was really cool to think yeah. situational baseball and how few young people there are for all you baseball players that might be listening to this baseball coaches who are who are individually that intentional about their practice. You know, I'm going to go practice hitting the ball to the right side of the field. You know, yeah. I, I'm going to go take those short hops off my shins and, and get a bruise on my chest and a bloody lip every now and then. So I faced it before I have to face it in the game. 
I thought that was something that if I could go back to 14 year old Chad Martin and say, Hey, know your strengths. I always wanted to be the home run hitter. I wasn't that guy. You played with me, you know, I would hit one out every now and then, but if I would have leaned into situational baseball even more than I did, I think that's where my strength was. And I wanted to be something I didn't. So I practiced all of those things instead of leaning in and really being exceptional with the others. And that's something that really stuck out to me. Well, he kind of said that. I didn't think about it until you just mentioned that, Shad. He said at the very end, become something along the lines of become your best or or become the very best version of yourself. Something about, you know, becoming your very best. But you you can't become your very best if you're trying to be something that you're not, right? If if you're trying to be the home run hitter, you may work your butt off to be that, but it's just not the cards you were dealt. You could have been the very best just, you know, on base percentage guy that would have won made you a career and you know and and i mean he was super proud of the fact that he walked more than he struck out he walked 830 times um you know and he was proud of that that that's not a big stat that really looks you know you look at but hey got on first base it's you know as good as hitting a single right and and he loathed striking out he said so what does he do i gotta have left-handed pitchers throw at me at practice i don't i can't sit here and hit off a a righty all day because he knows late in the game they're going to go to their middle reliever and they're you know they're they're going to bring in a lefty to face him late in games he's never going to see a right-handed pitcher in the seventh eighth ninth inning of a game he's got to be able to hit the money shots the winning time shots um or hits excuse me off of lefties but how many times i mean i'm thinking of my own uh you know career in sports but specifically baseball i don't remember really ever going to the ballpark and pitching a bullpen or or something and saying, okay, every single guy that faces me today in practice, I want to pitch at him as if the count is, you know, 0-2 and, or if the count's full, right? What's my go-to pitch that I, I you know, you just kind of pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Or I got to get this guy to hit into a double play. So what's my best pitch to get this guy to hit it? you know, to my shortstop or second baseman so I can turn this, do I have something that I can really feel comfortable with? Um, That's intentional. It's the same in basketball. We could use the same examples in golf and everything. What's your shot? Like what's your go-to move? But you got to practice the ones that aren't because like he said, the opposing team knows what your go-to move is, what your go-to shot is, where your hit, where your sweet spot is as a hitter. And he's not going to let you get there. So you got to be able to do other things. That's intentional practice. Yeah, man. So many things he talked about. Such a great interview. Yeah, it was awesome. What a a great dude. Well, awesome. Well, thanks everyone for joining the Sportlight Podcast. Share it. Like it. Leave a review. It helps us. Eyes up. Do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org book.